In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome in. Another episode of The Camp. We're getting closer to spring ball. We got some dates now, obviously, Jesse. March 25th, first practice. They're holding Pro Day March 23rd. So we'll get to see uh, some of that on the 23rd. Then practice opens up on the 25th. They have their launch on April 22nd. That's going to be interesting. I don't know. I mean, it's just going to be a practice, correct? I mean, that's essentially what we've heard. I mean, there might be some scrimmaging, but it'll be the first. It'll be the first opportunity for fans to come in and and see the team. And uh, so, yeah, we're getting closer to that, uh, despite the weather outside today. But uh, plenty to get to. Before we get to that, though, I do uh, just wanted to mention that we're going to have Chimray DK coming up here later in the show. Uh, the Wisconsin wide receiver uh, going to join us, talk about his football camp coming up this summer in Waukesha. It'll be the second year that he's done that. So uh, I know they had a great time last year. A lot of his teammates came out to help out. So I think it's a, a really good thing for, for kids. And uh, I think for those that are listening, obviously, for getting their kids involved. So we'll talk about that with him, but obviously get into a ton more about the change in offense that uh, he and his rest of his teammates are going through and just kind of the vibe that is felt within the Wisconsin football program. Also, if you don't mind, certainly would appreciate uh, rating and subscribing on whatever podcast platform you get the camp on. We do appreciate that as well. All right, let's get into this, Jesse. Uh, there was uh, Wisconsin had a tight ends coach for what? A little over a month. And now, then they didn't, and now they do again. Uh, Gino Gino Gadulli, the uh, former great quarterback at Cincinnati, was uh, office coordinator and quarterbacks quarterbacks coach there last year. Came to Wisconsin as the tight ends coach. He is now back as a quarterbacks coach at Notre Dame. I think what was it, forty days that he was on the job? Yeah, he was officially announced by Wisconsin January sixth. I know that some of these coaches were handling things behind the scenes on a recruiting trail before, but yeah, 40 days later on February 15th, the reports came out that he was heading to Notre Dame. So uh, wish you luck. And we barely knew you here in Madison. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, is it a big deal? No, I don't think okay. so. Uh, that That's certainly no knock on Dougley's talent as a coach, but I, I was asked this question for a mailbag that ran last week about whether him leaving, especially with two tight end commits in the 2024 class um, was a big deal and how big of an impact this had. And for me, my response was, it can't be that big of an impact because, again, he was barely here. He never coached a practice. Timing is certainly not ideal. On the other hand, it still gave Luke Fickle more than a month to make a decision. And obviously, it didn't even take that long because he's bringing in quality control coach Nate Letton, who was the tight ends coach under him in Cincinnati last season. So that seems pretty seamless. But, I, I mean... He obviously played a part in helping Wisconsin get two quality tight ends, Grant Steck, the four-star kid out of Illinois, and, and Rob Booker, the second from Wanakee. But even in talking to those kids, while they formed a good relationship with him, they're coming to Wisconsin for a lot of other reasons. They like the program. They like the new offense. They like the other coaches. So I don't anticipate this having much of an impact because, again, he just wasn't here for very long. He wasn't. Do you think they brought Letton with the possibility that this could be, you know, something that they foresaw 
I mean, he inter- he was, uh, I don't know if he was a finalist for the Cincinnati job, but he was definitely involved there. I think uh, he was in the running for uh, one or two other jobs. He'd never coached tight ends before. I know he had coached running backs, so it's not like he'd only coach quarterbacks. But do you think that maybe Luke Fickle kind of saw this as a possibility and had Nate Letton there just, you know, in case? It's hard to say without directly asking Luke that question. Um, on the other hand, I think, it's fair to say that if you're a coach and certainly in the situation that Dugley was in, if you're interviewing for a head coaching job and, and it doesn't work out, so they're going to bring in somebody else, you're kind of in a spot where you need a job. So to go from potentially to, to go from being an offensive coordinator, potentially a head coach to being the tight ends coach, even at Wisconsin, um, I don't think career wise, that's the move that you're thinking. And so if there was going to be another opportunity, it's not surprising that he's gone again, the timing and the fact that he wasn't there very long, but it would seem to be a, a position that's more aligned with him and probably more money. Um, but in terms of having a backup plan, that's really hard to say. I would say that it's certainly very, uh, I suppose, opportunistic <laughs> to have somebody of that quality in your staff just as a QC, but I don't know whether, it was specifically because he thought that a coach was going to leave. Yeah, probably not. Just my, that's how my brain works. But Nate Letton is the new tight ends coach. He wasn't the tight ends coach at Cincinnati very long. I think it was the only one year, right? Because he was yeah. he was uh, he was on the staff at Cincinnati for a while for a few years. But it, last year was just the first year he was the, actually the tight ends coach. Right. He was the gra- he was a graduate assistant working with the offensive line the previous two seasons. But obviously, yeah. Fickle saw enough in him in one season. And look, having one season of experience at the position is certainly better than none, to be honest. And um, I don't know whether this was ever actually considered. But when I first heard that Gadoogly was leaving, my initial thought, and I texted you this half jokingly, but also half not, was what about Mickey Turner? Now Mickey, yeah. now Mickey um, is now the wide receivers coach at the Illinois state. So uh, didn't spend long on the sidelines and got back into coaching. But the reason that I thought, ah, is this, is this a possibility is mostly because when Luke Fickle was at the alumni event in Milwaukee, he talked to reporters beforehand. One of the things he was discussing, and this was about his coaching staff, but also his philosophy within state recruiting. Um, and we addressed this a couple weeks ago, but he felt like the one thing that he was lamenting was he didn't get the staff together in the way that he initially hoped because he wanted somebody on the staff, the full-time 10 person assistant staff that had some experience in the state. And nobody would have more than that than Mickey. But obviously when you've got somebody that you know, who's right there um, that makes a lot of sense. And again, this is, I don't know that Mickey would have wanted to come back at this time anyway. Um, But just in terms of pure, pure speculation, that was my initial thought process is here's your chance to kind of kill two birds with one stone. It is a little funny that he he said that and then he went ahead and did what he did. I'm not faulting Again, him, by, but I'm not, not faulting him either. It, it just a little, it's a little calm. It's a little funny. It's a little yeah. funny to, to lament that something you have control over that you didn't do anything about the first time. We had an opportunity to change it a second time and, Still didn't. But again, I don't think Wisconsin, I don't think you needed to have somebody with connections to Wisconsin on the staff. Like, I don't, I don't think it was necessary, but when you say it, right, it kind of opens it up. So yeah. So Nate Letton is the new tight ends coach. Uh, He's obviously been around the program for the last, just as long as uh, uh, Gino had. So he kind of, it's not like he has to go and learn these people and and who these people are and, and all that type of stuff. It's not like a new guy coming in. It's not like Mark D'Onofrio, you know, um, having to come in and, and learn guys without having a ton of time to do it. 
Um, but we also had an opportunity this week. Last week, it was Colin Hitchler and wide receivers coach Mike Brown as uh, the guys we got to talk to this week. It was, thankfully, they didn't bring in Gino, Gino last week. Uh, but um, <laughs> this week, it was offensive line coach Jack McNell and defensive line coach Greg Scruggs. And both of them have, uh, I think, very important jobs. I think of the two, though, I, I think I lean towards the offensive line. Because I think for the most part, what we've seen from the offensive line, while very talented in in terms of star rating and everything like that, I think you could say it underperformed the last few years. And Jack has a, I think, a probably pretty big job in front of him. But I, because I think if if you can have all, you can have the great quarterback, you can have the great wide receivers, you can have a great running back, you can have all the things in place. But if the offensive line doesn't do what it needs to do, then it's not really going to matter. So I kind of when I think about spring ball and the big questions that I have for spring ball, the offensive line and what it's going to look like is probably at the top of the list. I know you wrote about it. I know we've talked to a number of players since the air raid or the, the version of the air raid that Phil Longo is going to bring in and, and some of the things that they're excited about, namely um, less people in the box, but is this, is it as simple as that for you? Well, I think it's more than that. You're right. The last three years, this offense hasn't been, up to snuff in the way that people expected and the offensive line is right there in the mix as to reason why they and we i'm sure we've discussed this over the, over the last three years but they haven't been the dominant line that we were sort of accustomed to to seeing over the years and it's it's hard to pinpoint one specific reason you know you lose jonathan taylor and quintez cephas nfl guys at those positions and your offensive line suddenly may not look as good. And that's not to say they haven't had quality running backs. Obviously Braylon Allen has had a tremendous first two years and Chesma Lucy when he's healthy, but I do wonder it, it again, it's hard to put a percentage on these things, but I, I remember talking to Tanner Bordellini right after the bowl game. And, and one of the things that most excited him, as you said, was this idea that there are not going to be eight or nine defenders in the box all the time when Wisconsin's calling a run play. I mentioned this in the story, but, no power five team in the country faced eight plus defenders in the box on its rushing attempts more than Wisconsin, 61.4%, according to true media. And the only FBF, FBS programs with a higher rate were the three service academies, all of which run the triple option. So obviously this is probably not the first year where Wisconsin has faced loaded boxes, but they just really struggled to adjust and adapt when they became predictable offensively. And, and Tanner talked about that. It really, there were times where it got frustrating and, and this is, not to make excuses for the offensive line, which again, needs to be better, but he would say there, there's a safety that makes a tackle that's unblocked and it's part of the play. And as an offensive line, you've held up your end of the bargain and the play gets blown up anyway. And I think that's something that Bicknell was talking about too, when we, when we talked to him on Monday, and maybe this will be one of the more significant changes is he talked about how aggravating it is for the line to do a good job. And basically the same type of scenario that Bordellini laid out. There's a safety. He makes the play. And and Bicknell said, now the O-line coach is terrible. And so is the offensive line. And it's as simple as changing the play. And he talked about, okay, so you see somebody coming in unblocked. You throw a post over his head. And he said, now everybody's happy. And this isn't this statement. And I think some people maybe took this in my story as an indictment of of Paul Christ and then that offense. I think it was just more about the philosophy that Bicknell has working with Longo, but he said, that's what I really love is that we're not asking those guys to do things that don't make sense. So I think there's this idea that 
with this offense, they have things to combat whatever look they see. And maybe that makes things easier for the offensive line. And in general, if you spread everybody out, and Bicknell talked about this too, you don't have a fullback, so you've got an extra player in there as a wide receiver, you're not going to face eight and nine-man boxes. But I think it has an opportunity to benefit the offensive line, but I'm just as curious as you to see exactly what this looks like. Bicknell seems to think that the blocking responsibilities are generally going to be pretty similar to what they've been before, but they're going to be doing things in a much different way at a much faster tempo, and um, it's just going to be a lot different into how how they get to play. So I think they've got a lot to prove and, and it is one of the more intriguing storylines entering spring practice. What do you think about the idea that he didn't, I mean, he, he said he kind of has an idea of what they were doing in the past, but he yeah. wants kind of a clean slate going mm-hmm. into, into spring ball. What do you think about that? And, and who potentially benefits from it the most? Do you think? Cause they, like we, like in our minds, we sit here and say, all right, well, they got all these guys coming back, all these starters coming back, Jack Nelson, Tanner Bordellini, um, Michael Furtney, uh, Trey Wedig, Riley Mallman, like all guys that have played a ton of football. And so you can slot them into spots and starting into starting spots here and there. And in, in this guy, and I kind of feel like uh, maybe that is not the case at this point. I thought that was an interesting comment from Bicknell is, is that he said, um, he hasn't, he purposely hasn't watched every game from last season because he wants it to be a fresh start. And he, basically told them he wants them to feel that way too. Like I just got here. We're going to start from scratch. And his, his statement was, I don't select who the players are. You guys select who the players are. So I think it'll certainly be an opportunity to breed competition on the other hand. And he acknowledged this too. You can't ignore what some of those guys have done. Like if Jack Nelson is not starting last next season, I would be stunned. He's got 25 career starts. He started 12 games at left tackle last season. But I do think maybe it's it opens up the the door for for more opportunity and guys aren't locked into spots. And the other intriguing thing here is because Wisconsin was able to fill some holes through the transfer portal by bringing in Jake Renfro and Joe Huber from Cincinnati, you now have seven players in that room that have started multiple games. Renfro, who was injured all of last season, he has 19 career starts. We assume he's going to come in and be the starting center. I think everybody does. Huber started 13 games at right tackle last season. Now he's coming in as a guard. I think the guard competition is going to be phenomenal, but I don't know if this means you automatically plug in Riley Malman at right tackle who started six games. And the other thing that was noteworthy or among the things that was noteworthy that Bicknell talked about was his philosophy on what he's looking for in terms of training these guys, because the last two offensive line coaches, as we know, had differing philosophies. Joe Rudolph wanted to cross train guys. He wanted them to know the left side, the right side, guard, tackle, whatever it may be. And Bob Bostead's philosophy was, I want to lock them into one position if I can to get them as good as they can at that spot, which he certainly had success with in his first stint at Wisconsin. And McNell's philosophy is, it's essentially to cross train, but in a little bit different way. If you're going to be um, on the interior as a guard, you need to know tackle. And if you're going to be a center, you need to know guard. So he said he's not really looking at left and right but more so multiple spots like that. And there is a lot of versatility within this room. And one guy he mentioned by name was Trey Wedick, who I think may be a wild card in all this. Now he started eight games last season, but he can play guard and tackle and, and maybe he can work his way up. Um, but there is a lot of competition because we haven't even mentioned Nolan Rucci, five-star prospect, JP Benchwell and Joe Brunner, four-star guys. And Brunner may very well push for time at guard. So it will be fascinating to watch unfold. And I thought it was interesting that both Bicknell and Scruggs, they didn't mention hardly any names because they haven't actually 
coach these guys in a practice. So they're learning as they go along too about what exactly these guys have to offer. And they really won't find out until March and most of April. Yes, that is true. And I think some of Bicknell's feeling or thinking on this, you know, in terms of cross training and, and having guys that can play multiple spots is coming from the NFL because you only had what on game days, NFL teams usually only have eight linemen active sometimes, uh, I guess sometimes nine, sometimes seven. It really kind of depends. So you, when you have you only have two guys next to you on the on the sideline to put in, they have to be able to play multiple spots. And so it's it's kind of I think it's kind of that mentality that he that he brought from, or at least in his in my mind, kind of what he brought from the NFL. Maybe that's where his philosophy comes from in thinking that guys need to need to be able to play multiple spots. Whereas Bostad was kind of wanting to to fit guys in and keep them there though. I think we kind of saw last year during the season, at least guys mm-hmm. moving around, right? Yes. And Trey Wedig playing multiple spots. We saw Tanner Bordellini play both sides. We saw Michael Furtney, I think play both sides. Uh, Tyler beach play both sides. There were, they, so there were guys like for the most part, they're playing the same position, just but left and right. It, it really wasn't, it wasn't set necessarily. And obviously think- Bordell, and obviously Bordellini playing center as well in the bowl game. So yeah, I, I think some of that was out of necessity because obviously yes. they they didn't have the same starting lineup basically every week, um, and that made but, it a little more challenging. But that's the benefit of doing it. Oh right? yes, like because absolutely. like it's the benefit of cross training guys so that if you do have injuries, they're not being thrown into a spot for the first time on a game day or a game week. Um, they they have that, and and Trey Reddick had the benefit of doing that because he played a ton of uh, guard during spring ball and so he he kind of knew it. and then you know when the, the injury happened at right tackle he was able to step in but um it's it's the ben i think there's a there's a benefit to it i i kind of it depends uh if it works it's great if it's not oh man you should really lock those guys into one spot and just let right. them go right it's uh <laughs> it's really if it works great if it doesn't try something else and that's what happened last year and it didn't work great so it is what it is, but that to me is, I know that there's questions about the offensive whole and the passing game, what it's going to look like for the wide receivers, but I think it all comes back to the offensive line. And um, perhaps that's just a Wisconsin. That's just the Wisconsin in me <laughs> and uh, knowing what the offensive line has meant to this place for the last 30 years. And I think Jack, I think Bicknell knows what it's meant. I think he talked about it, but for the offense to go, whether it's quarterback or running back wide receiver, the offensive line has to be playing at a high level and, uh, much higher level than they have the last couple of years. So we've we've said for a couple of years that the talent has been there, and on paper it was among the most paper, talented. Sure. But it's got to translate, and and maybe this is the year where it does translate. You you are returning five guys with multiple starts at Wisconsin, and then you add those two in from Cincinnati, and we haven't even touched on the the guys that are waiting in the wings. It's all there for Wisconsin to be tremendously successful. And you're right, Bicknell has a ton of respect for this group. He even talked about when he was in the NFL, he was coaching the offensive line with the Kansas city chiefs. He was tasked with writing reports on college prospects. And when it was Wisconsin guy came up, you took notice. And I, I thought it was also noteworthy that he said, he feels like the offensive line at Wisconsin is more respected or more thought of than other places where the first thought you have is on the receivers of quarterbacks. So that was another attractive aspect to this job. And I also think it's a good spot because which we haven't mentioned this either He's coached alongside Phil Longo for three seasons, two at Ole Miss and last season at North Carolina. And so he's got a really good understanding of what Longo wants from his offensive linemen. Uh, So this really has a chance to 
I think benefit the offensive line and not necessarily get away from everything that that group has done because they're still going to run the football and they're still going to need to be dominant. They're just going to be doing it in a little bit different way. Yep. So that was uh, the offensive line that we, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on, but I think that gives you kind of an overview of what they're expecting from this group. And and we'll see again, spring ball. Can't wait for it. The other side of the, of the ball with Greg Scruggs, the most transparent assistant coach on the staff. That's, that's what his goal is to be. And I don't know if uh, the sports information department is going to allow that to happen or not. <laughs> he, he joked uh, that uh, he'll go as far as he can without them re- reining him back in, but he, he left a, I think he left a promising job in the NFL being an assistant defensive line coach for the jets to come back and, and uh, be a defensive line coach under Luke fickle. And was asked why he would do that. And he said, Luke, I don't know what exactly he's going to be as a coach. Right. But the intensity that he talked with and the passion that he talked with and the, uh, the reverence for, for Luke fickle that he talked with, I kind of feel like it's genuine I shouldn't say I kind of feel like it. I do think it's genuine, and I think that's going to help him build relationships within that room and on the recruiting trail. I'm I'm glad you framed it that way. It's a perfect segue into what I was going to talk about. I'm working on this story right now. It's going to run uh, this week on The Athletic. But one of my big takeaways from Scruggs was the it is the, the honesty and the genuine nature. Um, Sometimes you get a sense of who somebody is in an interview setting. It it can be really challenging. But when he talked about he's gone on Twitter three different times, I think, since he became the coach at Wisconsin and just said, I'm not playing (laughs) on Twitter. And he he did it minutes after Jamel Howard committed to Wisconsin. Um, And when he was asked about his recruiting philosophy on Monday, he said, when I say I ain't playing, I ain't playing. And what he meant by that was his whole philosophy is to build relationships and you hear a lot of coaches talk about that that's like a the bullet point number one that you hear but it it really feels genuine at least the way that he describes it because he said I don't care what the stars are uh I don't want you to invite me to your draft party it's way more important for me to be a coach that you can call 20 years from now and he said I it's more important to me that you send me a wedding invitation when you get married, send me an invitation to your graduation party. When you have a first child, if you have one, uh, I I better get a picture. Um, And I think that those are things that can resonate with players. Of course, the other element is you better be a darn good coach. And it certainly seems like in the the handful of years that he's been doing this, he's been able to work his way up and, and generate a lot of respect. He coached with Fickle. Again, this is another person that Fickle was familiar with. Coached with him at Cincinnati a couple of years on the D-line. Spent a year in the NFL, which I think will be very instructive in how he handles the room. And that's something that he talked about, too, is he learned a lot in his year there because he's in a room where there's a guy he talked about, this guy's got $55 million on his contract. This guy's making $15 million. These guys were top 10 NFL draft picks, and you can have a lot of egos in the room. So his whole thing is, is developing relationships and, and managing people. And I think those are two strong sets uh, that he has, but I, I don't know if Wisconsin lands Jamel Howard without a guy like Greg Scruggs coming in. And we discussed this a few weeks ago after Howard committed, but it took three weeks of building a relationship. Scruggs didn't come in until he said the Jets played the Dolphins on, I believe it was January 8th and January 9th. He's in Madison. And one of his first stops was Chicago clearly to try and land Howard. Howard backed out of his pledge to Wisconsin in November and took five visits uh, right before the February signing period. 
it takes a lot to bring someone back into the fold after they've decommitted and Scruggs coming on board and, and convincing Howard that he should join Wisconsin um, was huge for the Badgers at that position for the talent level. And I think it said an awful lot about Scruggs and what his potential is as a recruiter and as just a kind of builder of relationships to help these guys along at Wisconsin. There's no doubt about that. What it's actually going to look like this year. I don't, don't know. know. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Like we, we learned about him as a person. Right. I don't think I have a, a better grasp as to what it's actually going to look like as a defensive line. I think that is totally fair. Um, and I, I don't want to say I was necessarily disappointed in not learning that information, but I asked both those coaches for their assessment of the group that they had. And again, you didn't hear very many players by name, which is understandable because they have not worked with them yet. They're still learning who they are. We mentioned that Picknell wants to go into this with a clean slate, even though I'm sure he has a pretty good understanding of what those guys have done in the past. Um, Scruggs, to your initial point about him saying he wanted to be the transparent coach, he acknowledged that right now he doesn't know a ton about that room um, other than he's had people tell him that they work very hard. He said another coach on the recruiting trail, which he didn't want to name, said that um, – they were that, that group was scared to play Wisconsin C line. I don't know if that's, you know, if that coach was just blowing smoke, but yeah. he said, ask him again when spring practice, when spring practice gets going and he would have a better answer. Um, and he said, I, I pride myself on being the transparent coach just because why not? So he wants to be transparent with us. And he said, I'll tell you straight up what I think on where I think they are. So I look forward to asking him again <laughs> in April. Um, but we, we don't necessarily know what that group, I think there are certainly some names that jump to the top because Isaiah Mullins is coming back for a sixth season. Obviously, Rodas Johnson was a starter. Uh, uh, James Thompson Jr. started when Mullins got hurt, but nose guard is up, up in the air. And how do some of these other rotational players fit in? What about a Darian Varner? Can Jamel Howard make strides right away? We'll see. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it is interesting. The whole, idea of being transparent as an assistant coach brought this question to mind. Who is the most transparent assistant that you've ever talked to on the record? You really put me, uh, you put me on the spot. Over 12 seasons. There have probably been a hundred assistant coaches. Right. (laughs) So, so let you, I'll let you think about it. Sometimes John Suttle was a little bit too transparent. He was great. Oh, he was my liking. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, but I'm saying, no, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, for Paul Chris liking um, or whoever is in charge of that. Uh, I think that there were times that some of the things that he said, they would have appreciated if he didn't say them, but I, I love <laughs> talking to him and um, on the record or off the record yeah. was always a great person to talk to. And so I, I, I would put him up there in terms of being transparent um, and saying what was on his mind, I'm trying to think of some others that, that stand out. We used to be able to talk to assistants on a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think when that ended. Was that 2016? 2016. Yeah. 2016 was the, when we used to, we used to be able to talk. So the first three years, four years that I covered Wisconsin, we got to talk to assistants on a regular basis. And uh, that stopped in 2016. Don Settle had a role in it, but just in your mind, like who are some of the other ones that stand out? When you talked about Settle, uh, I probably would put him at number one. I always enjoyed talking to him. Um, I mean, I remember just sitting in his office for a Jonathan Taylor profile, and and he was pulling up film watching 
uh, Melvin Gordon, some highlights in, uh, with the Chargers. And he was just kind of fast forwarding, rewinding this particular play, showing like, this is the exact play that we want to run with Jonathan. And this is exactly what I'm showing him about how you run routes. And um, I, he would probably be my number one after that. I don't know. I really enjoyed talking to Charlie Partridge. This was a long time ago. Talked yeah. to him a handful of times since. I just felt he was a genuine dude in terms of how much information you gleaned. Uh, that was such a long time ago. But there are a handful of coaches that you just really enjoy talking to. Like Dave Aranda was such mm. a serious guy. Um, I felt like I learned football just listening to him. And sometimes when we're talking about transparency, we may be talking about like Jim Leonard was giving us injury information on guys that you just don't hear from uh, a coach, a head coach at the level at that level, because they want to keep some stuff to themselves. That's probably not going to continue. Um, I really enjoyed Jim. I enjoyed Dave Aranda for perhaps a little bit different reason, just because of his knowledge. So those are a handful that stand out. But again, there have been so many assistants over the years that, I would really need some time to think about it and rank them. There have been some good guys to talk to, no doubt about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm just trying to think of uh, a couple more. Like some you, you're able to build relationships with and mm -hmm. others not so much, um, just depending on kind of their personality. And you're right, there there have been so many, even though there's, I mean, I guess this is the third head coach or fourth head coach for you, having covered Brett Bielema for the first two years. This uh, there have been a ton of assistants, especially in that early period for you, right? Yeah. I mean, the 2011 staff looked a whole lot different than the 2012 staff, and then the 2013 staff was completely new uh, outside of what Thomas Hammock. Thomas Hammock was was pretty uh, open as well, though. Um, yeah, he was he was an interesting fella. Um, but there have been a ton of guys, ton of guys to roll through, and so I think it's you're you're it's probably di difficult to to think through everybody. That was good and it wasn't good. I'm not going to ask you who wasn't good. I won't. I won't do that. To, I, I won't do that to you. I have. Um, I have. I have persons in mind, but yeah, I think you know it's probably better not to. Um, but it, everybody's like everybody's personalities are different, and the amount of information they want to provide you with is different. Um, but I think it is a little more challenging in this in this era, and I, I get the sense that Luke Fickle and he's talked about it wants to be more open, wants to let people in. Um, and so my hope is uh, that certainly includes the media. Um, and this is perhaps a little inside baseball, but the last handful of seasons, reporters have talked to the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator once a week during the season, uh, which is great. And you can get assistance, but you've got to specially request them for a particular story. Um, whereas a long, long time ago, it was just sort of, uh, if you need an assistant, uh, offensive assistance might be available with the offensive players and defensive assistance with the defensive players. So you don't have a chance to talk to them as much and to kind of build those relationships and glean that insight. And I think it's important, uh, again, I'm standing on my stump here as a reporter, but just to understand the guys on the team better because no one knows them better than the position coaches. So we'll see what it looks like, but uh, it's certainly my understanding that, that at Cincinnati uh, Fickle and his staff were very open. And uh, again, we'll have our first glimpse at everything in spring practice in about a month. Yes, we will. Um, all right, let's get into our interview with Wisconsin wide receiver, Jim Ray DK. Here he is.
All right. Uh, we do welcome in a special guest. It is Wisconsin wide receiver, Chimray DK. Chimray, appreciate you joining us. Um, you've got a, a special time coming up uh, this summer again for a second straight year. Going to be doing your uh, football camp in Waukesha. It's uh, benefiting the uh, Chi 11 Save a Heart mission. I know you did it last year. What did you enjoy about last year's camp? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the biggest thing was just being around my teammates, um, you know, seeing them have the, the joy that they had to, you know, give them back to um, the youth football community that came um, and participated in the camp. It was really fun, you know, seeing Braille and Allen out there, uh, you know, making a couple tackles and uh, juking some kids out and, um, you know, just all my teammates come out there to support them. Obviously give back to a great cause, um, you know, with my friend's charity, uh, my friend that passed away from heart condition. Uh, so maybe get back to that something I want to do for a long time. So um, I'm really glad that we were able to do it last year, and I'm excited to do it again this year too. You guys had more than uh, 85 kids come out for that. I know, as you mentioned, a bunch of your teammates came out as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about your former teammate that that you guys are benefiting with this with the camp? Yeah, so uh, um, it's Kyle Lerner. Um, You know, grew up with him. Um, you know, one of my best friends to this day. And um, you know, when we were juniors in high school. Um, he passed away from um, a sudden heart condition. Um, and, you know, ever since that day, um, when his parents made a charity um, to raise awareness uh, about heart conditions and EK EKG testing and things like that, um, you know, I knew that I wanted to be able to give back to that in some form or fashion if I was able to, um, you know, and, uh, you know, have an opportunity to do that and, um, you know, keep representing him and um, something, somebody and something that's so important to me is really awesome. So it is coming up uh, Saturday, June 17th. It's going to be at Waukesha North High School. What are the kids getting when they come out? Yeah, I think uh, you're just getting a fun day with, uh, you know, some some guys who have, you know, had a lot of great football experiences. You know, you're going to be up close and personal with, with the Badgers. And, um, you know, we have a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we get after. Hopefully you can learn, you know, a thing or two that um, you can take with your game. But I think the most important thing is that, uh, you know, we really have a, have a blast and enjoy it and just kind of, kind of be kids, honestly. Um, so, you know, if you're interested, you can sign up at um, chimmerdkcamp.com um, or football, chimmerdkfootballcampsorry.com um, and uh, the links in my Twitter and Instagram bio as well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully, you know, growing the camp and, and, and having another successful year. And uh, it's also, for those listening podcast-wise, it's going to be in the description for the podcast. So you can also click on there and um, it'll take you right to the website to get more information on the camp so talk a little football now wisconsin football you guys are in the midst of winter workouts uh we've gotten the i think an inside look more so this year than probably any other year at some of those workouts and how intense it's been with uh, the new strength training staff and some of the stuff that's happening on the uh, the field of mclean can you give us a uh, an idea of of what it's been like compared to what it has been in the past yeah i mean i think uh you know coach b is done a fantastic job of challenging us all winter. Um, his entire staff is, is honestly amazing. Um, I've been so fortunate to, to work with all of them. Um, and I just think the the sense of urgency and intensity of our workouts, like you can see in some of those videos, has um, really gone up. And I think that's something that you you need, um, especially, you know, playing Big Ten football, um, puts you in tough environments and, and tough situations. So um, when they come up in the fall, you're prepared. And uh, I've, I feel like I've grown a lot physically and and mentally, I'm excited, um, you know, to finish out the winter and, and then, you know, head into heading the rest of the offseason. Shimmer, you knew coming into last season that you were going to step into the number one wide receiver role, and you obviously did that very well. What were your goals coming into this offseason, and what do you hope to achieve 
knowing that you've got all that experience under your belt, but you're entering a new, a new staff and a new offense. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's kind of similar to last year. Um, I want to, you know, be the leader and, uh, help lead a receiver room. Um, you know, I, I think that's no more ways than just, you know, making, you know, score touchdowns and catch a pass is just the way I approach, um, uh, you know, practice the way I approach, um, you know, every single day in the weight room or the meeting room. Um, I want to, you know, set the standard for that. And, um, you know, I really want to <clears throat> help, help my team win a big 10 championship. Um, you know, whatever that can be, I want to be a big part of that. And, um, you know, I came to Wisconsin to, to help elevate the level of play. And I feel like the only way for us to do that is to win a big 10 championship. I want to go back a, a month or two here to when obviously Phil Longo was hired. Right. And just your first reaction to the idea that it's a version of the air raid is coming to Wisconsin as a Wisconsin kid, you know, that that's not necessarily what, what the school has been about for the last 30 years, but as a wide receiver, I have to imagine uh, your eyes widening and that like excitement feeling inside you when you heard the news. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, definitely excited, um, you know, to work with Coach Longo and, um, you know, being under in his offense. And I think, you know, as a receiver, um, you, you can't help but be excited for something like that. Um, you know, the amount of opportunities and um, the amount of space he allows you to play in. So I, I think it's it's going to be a really great opportunity for not only myself, but everybody in the room and um, our entire offense to be able to, you know, hopefully be really dynamic, really dangerous. Last season, when you opened the season as a team, I think the wide receiver room had nine scholarship guys. And I, I, obviously this staff wants to do it a little differently. When you learn that coaches wanted a wide receiver room that might have 12 scholarship players this year, and mm-hmm. they would be pursuing guys in the transfer portal, what was your initial reaction? I mean, I think that's just part of, you know, part of the business, right? Like, um, you know, at the end of the day, we got to, you know, help field the most competitive roster. Um, you know, like I said, my goal is to win a big 10 championship. So I want to have it. That means having a talented team. That means having, um, you know, competitive rooms. And um, it's been great with the, with every single one of the transfers they've came in and um, they put their head down and worked and really, um, you know, already added to the level of competition, the level of, um, you know, play, I think that um, is in our room. And along with the guys that came back, um, you know, I think we're all really hungry and, um, you know, working together to, you know, win as many games as we can in the fall and hopefully bring home a championship. We've seen uh, some of the speed that you guys have been putting out there with uh, with Coach Collins, uh, Will Pauling. I know was was over twenty one yeah. miles an hour. You were up close to. Tw- were you at twenty? I think you were last oh, week. Just was below it twenty? Just below twenty. So, next week. Yeah. So like getting the ball in athletes' hands is kind of what this offense is going to be about, right? And it feels like just mm-hmm. looking at some of those times or, or looking at some of those speeds that you've added to an already talented room, but with, with a few more athletes added into it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> Will Pauling, uh, that guy's super, super twitchy and super fast. Um, you know, I think that anytime you can get guys like that and, um, you know, different body types and different guys who have different skill sets, um, it just makes your, your offense more dynamic, right? Like, um, you know, you have Braille and Allen, and then you have Chess Malusi. They're two different backs, but they're very, very uh, effective in their own right. And um, I think it can just keep, um, you know, defenses on the heels and I think it goes for the same with the receiver room right you can have you know really big physical guys and you can have um, smaller quicker guys and uh, being able to utilize that just makes us that much tougher to guard you mentioned Will Pauling a couple other transfers um, obviously Quincy Burroughs his teammate and then Bryson Green and CJ Williams those two in particular yeah. seem to generate a lot of fanfare because of CJ's high school accolades and what Bryson accomplished at Oklahoma State I know you haven't necessarily been on the field yet uh, running routes and everything I assume but 
what are your initial impressions of Bryson and CJ in particular from any film you've studied or just being around them? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, how good the teammates they are. Um, you know, they came in right away and, um, they're super humble. They, they work really hard. And, um, I think that's something that I respect, um, you know, as somebody that, I, that views themselves as a leader on this team, um, because, you know, no matter how good of a player you are, you have to you know be able to do those things that, um, other people aren't willing to do to be successful. And, um, they definitely both are, and, you know, then just how athletic and, you know, talented they are, you can tell, um, just from even, you know, lifts or workouts, um, they definitely stand out and um, I'm, I'm excited to work with both those guys. Had a chance to talk with uh, Skyler a couple weeks back and he was talking about going out of the field and running routes with the quarterbacks. Cause when we talked about the wide receivers they brought in, obviously the quarterbacks were, were quite a big story as well. You lose Graham um, and you bring in Tanner Mordecai and Nick Evers and Braden Locke. And then obviously Cole, the crew, the, the new recruit, yeah, miles obviously back as well. But just with those, with with a guy like Tanner, what have you seen? I assume you've been able to get on the field with him, run routes, and that type of thing. What stands out about his game as a quarterback? I mean, he can make all the throws, um, but I don't think that's the biggest thing that that stands out to me. I think it's just you can tell he's kind of been there before. Um, you know, the confidence he has, um, you know, the moxie he carries himself with, and um, the way he approaches every single every single workout, and the way he he already is leading. Um, you know, without even, you know, having a practice under his belt, um, you know, I could already say he's, he's a leader in the locker room and he's respected in the locker room. And um, I think that says a lot about the character he has. And I think that's something that's needed in a quarterback. Um, you know, I think that, you know, if you're controlling the huddle and you're, you know what I mean? Or I guess no huddle in this case, but um, you know, if you're under center, then um, you know, you need to be somebody that people can look towards. And he definitely is. I think we've certainly heard a lot about the passing opportunities being greater this season, which will impact the wide receivers. But what do you think the biggest difference will be for the wide receivers this season in terms of the routes you're asked to run or the, the different things from what you've learned so far about Coach Longo's system? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's just playing, playing in more space, honestly. Um, you know, obviously a lot more plays. Um and, you know, the, the tempo change is probably the most obvious change as well. Um, but, you know, I think those are all adjustments. And I think that, you know, we have a deep enough room that we can easily handle uh, handle that. And I think it's a, that's one of the best parts about um, all the people that we, you know, all the guys we brought in um, is they all can add something. And, um, you know, we're going to need depth in our room. So we ask for Twitter questions usually for the show. And one of them actually that came in, he wanted me to ask you this question. It's about the the wide receiver room uh he says uh can you explain the differences in terminology from the past staff to the new staff same play how is the naming different and then also how is the relay different are we gonna be looking at big cards on the sideline like we've seen at so many other places uh how how are the plays do you know how the plays are going to be coming in yet uh i don't know if i can speak on the terminology just because okay. coach Lago's pretty coach Lago's pretty uh tight with that but um yeah, they're, they're relayed. I'll say that they're relayed in, um, from the sideline, um, in some form or manner. And, uh, okay. you know, um, there's, there's not as much huddling, uh, but I don't want to give too much away because, you know, I don't want to get in trouble, but, uh, yeah. it's definitely a lot different. Um, you know, definitely a lot, a lot faster. Um, I think you'll probably see a lot more plays and, you know, you know, at, at hopefully a lot more points as well, um, coming this fall. You handle that response very professionally, so uh, uh, very admirable. Um, a couple of your returning teammates that we haven't asked you about, um, Skyler and Keontes, two guys that really stepped up last season. Um, I think the three of you really quietly put together uh, 
an excellent season as a trio. What have you seen out of the development of each of those two guys? And what would you expect both of them to be able to accomplish this season in this offense? Yeah. Um, you know, they're both super confident guys, but I think that, you know, having experience and kind of knowing that they can do it, um, there's even a, a different sense of confidence. And um, those guys are both uh, amazing talents and they add a lot to our room. Uh, and I think it kind of gets overlooked a little bit uh, just because, you know, they're not, um, you know, the new guys or whatever, but uh, they're both super talented in their own right. And, um, you know, I'm super excited for those guys um, to be able to compete with them and compete um, alongside them um, come, coming into the season. Um, I think it's going to really raise the level of our room and, um, they're both so so athletically talented and gifted too. So um, those guys are really fun to be teammates with for sure. What do you, you know, we're what a month away from spring ball starting. I think the first practice is the 25th. What's the goal for you personally? And, you know, team-wide going into a spring practice when you're installing a new offense and uh, this is just a, a new process for everybody. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, initially obviously to get your feet wet, but uh, then it's to be, you know, become as high functioning as you can um, by the end of spring ball. So when you go into fall camp, um, you've kind of worked out all the kinks, you worked out all the, you know, wrinkles and you can really just, um, you know, work on fine tuning something that's already um, kind of ready and set in place. And, um, you know, obviously it'll be some adjustment, but uh, I feel like I've played a lot of high level football before. And um, at the end of the day, um, it's football. So um, I'm excited to be, out, be able to get out there with my teammates compete and um, just make all of us better, you know, whether it's a, you know, offense, the defensive putting, they're implementing their new stuff. Um, I'm really excited. Last season was obviously very difficult for the team, given everything that transpired, including the coaching changes. How much has this change with the staff and the scheme invigorated the players coming into another season? Yeah, I think it's definitely, uh, definitely exciting, right? Um, you know, be able to get a, get a fresh opportunity. Um, obviously, you know, we kind of have a bad taste in our mouth from, uh, last season and uh, you know I think that everybody's kind of approaching this offseason in a way that um, you know we can all work together to be become better so uh, we have a better result next fall because um, you know I know myself becoming an older guy getting towards the end of my career um, you know definitely um, don't want to leave in the note that that we had last year so um, I'm super excited to get to work with this new staff and um, for the changes that have already been made um, yeah does it feel different in this off season, I, I obviously the, the changes, it has to feel different, but does it feel more energized? Does it feel, I know that's what Jesse kind of said, invigorated, energized. Does mm -hmm. it feel different within the facility right now than it, than it has in past years? Do you think? Yeah, um, it definitely does. I mean, I think that you're always, you know, optimistic uh, going into any season, especially a place like Wisconsin, because, you know, we know we, we always have a chance to be in a really dangerous team, but, um, you know, with the new staff, um, just the the standard that they're requiring us to 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 meet at and uh, to be at, uh, I really think it's like I said earlier. The best way I can um, explain is the urgency and the intensity are up um, constantly, and um, you know, I think that uh, that just you know feeds through the locker room and it makes everything uh, you know more efficient and um, it makes everything so that, you know, there is more energy and people are excited and people want to be there. So um, it's been really great um, so far, and I can't wait to see how it grows. Last question I have for you uh, is someone we haven't asked you about, your new position coach, Mike Brown. We had a chance to talk to him for the first time 
last week. What are your impressions of him? And how do you think he'll be able to help elevate your game? Yeah, he's been great. Um, you know, obviously kind of, I haven't gone through any practices with him or anything. Um, just, but just the time I've been around him, um, you know, I think that he, he's really, um, fundamentally based. And I think that, um, as a receiver, that's extremely important, especially when you're going against, you know, high level DBs, um, you know, you have to have great fundamentals, um, and obviously I'll be able to tell you more about how he'll, he's able to elevate my game as I get further and work with him more. But um, I really just like the the approach he takes to it and um, how he values hard work. Um, it's kind of similar to some of the coaches I've had in the past and um, that I've really you know clicked with. And um, I think that he's a player's coach and that um, he's going to really help our room go to the, go to the next level. All right, Chimray, certainly appreciate your time. Again, it's the second annual uh, Chimray DK football camp. That's going to be benefiting the uh, Kai 11 Save a Heart mission. That's set for uh, Saturday, June 17th at Waukesha North High School. Again, where can uh, people find a little bit more information if they need to? Yeah, you can uh, sign up at chimmerydkfootballcamp.com. Um, really looking forward to, you know, hopefully seeing some of you guys there and, um, you know, continuing this, uh, you know, trend of um, having a camp and, um, you know, hopefully giving back a little bit to the community. And uh, it was a blast last year. I expect to say this year. So yeah, thank you I'm guys sh- for having me for sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great. So uh, check that out when you get a chance. Chimray, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. All right, there he was, Chimray DK. Really appreciate him coming on again. If you uh, want for more, want more information on the camp, it's coming up June 17th at Waukesha North High School. You can uh, click the link in the uh, description of the podcast and and go find that uh, and, and you can get your kids signed up and all that good stuff. So uh, we appreciate him jumping on. Uh, before we get out of here, a couple of Twitter questions to get to. Perhaps says, how important is this spring season to who plays or who is on the team? And I think this kind of goes along with thoughts on how they get down to 85 scholarships or any guesses where one might open up. Well, I think it's very important for people to figure out where they stand and maybe they have some sense now, but you want to give yourself the best opportunity in these 15 spring practices and they are over what the number would need to be and it's going to sort itself out. So obviously it's extremely important because the transfer portal window, the next one runs from May 1st to the 15th, Wisconsin's last spring practice is April 27th. So you're going to have a, a little time period to make a decision on your future. And I imagine that there are going to be some players that end up in the portal as ter- in terms of speculation. I don't think I'm ready to do that yet. I, I, I'm certainly willing to have that conversation mid April, assuming we have a chance <laughs> to watch some practices, but I honestly just don't think it would be fair right now, not having seen a single snap of any practice with this new staff. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, the, the Part of the other question was and the second question was from Frank. Are sixth-year guys not on scholarship? No, they are on scholarship. They do count against the scholarship limit. The only year that didn't, well, that wasn't the case was 2021 um, with guys coming back from 2020. But the guys that do, or the guys that have come back, uh, do count against it. So when Chase Wolf left, decided not to return for that sixth year, he op- that, that opened up a scholarship. They obviously have a few more to get down below 85 before the rest of the uh, class comes in in what? in June um, when, when, when summer workouts out, but again, I think spring is going to take care of all of that. People are going to see where they are in the depth chart and the coaches are also going to see like who deserves to be here and who doesn't. And uh, I think they'll make that clear for those guys that don't. 
Um, CT Badger says, if the offense improves, a defense can maintain its current level. The Badgers have a chance to be very competitive. Um, this is a really hard question. I don't think we have the information on. Uh, give us an analysis <laughs> of the performance of Trussell's past defenses and how they might hold when paired with an up-tempo offense like Longo's. Um, I will say, I, I will say though, that it's going to be a much, I think the expectation level, not that Wisconsin's defense can't be excellent, but it's going to be challenging in a different way because like we've talked about before, they're going to be on the field a heck of a lot more since the offense will be on the field less. I mean, it's, it's yeah. the simple math of that. I think it was something like four minutes a game on average that North Carolina was on the field more than, than, uh, or four minutes less than, than Wisconsin's offense. Cause the Badgers have prided themselves on being among the tops in the country in terms of um, time of possession. And that's going to change. Yeah. I, and I don't think, I mean, Cincinnati wasn't, by any stretch, a slow it down offense, but they weren't necessarily, you know, North Carolina in that respect either. So it's, it's a little bit difficult to, to say exactly what that'll look like with, with Trussell's defense. But I think it's fair to say that Wisconsin's defense would not be ranked as highly as it was these last, what, since the three, four came in, if it weren't for an offense that held onto the ball as much as it did, you know, yards per play, I think is a really good indicator of, of how good you are. And, in, in a lot of years, Wisconsin was really good. And in some years, they weren't. But if you're not on the field nearly as much, you're, the, the offenses are not going to have a chance to to beat you down or put as much yardage up on you as uh, you normally would. Well, I think that's absolutely fair because if I'm not mistaken, two of the last four years, Wisconsin was number one in the country in time of possession. And in one of the other years, they were in the top 10. And so that clearly makes a substantial difference in terms of how many plays you're asking your defense to be out there. And that's no knock on what, what that defense accomplished. The 2021 season those numbers might be in the record books for a long, long time. But I think just the, the expectations that you should have might be a little bit different because they're going to be doing a lot of different things now. You know, it's hilarious. I, I say yards per play, and then I went and looked it up a little bit here. And uh, the last three years, Wisconsin's been 13, 1, and 18. So defensively? They, defensively in, in yards, play, yards per play allowed. 2019, they were 13th. 2020, they were... 18th 2021 they were first obviously and 2022 they were 13th so maybe i have to go back on my statement there a little bit uh, and say there would have been more yards had they been on the field more uh and, and maybe more bigger place if you're tiring out the defense a little bit but either way it's irrelevant we won't know until fall whether that's the case or not but um all right we will be back next week certainly appreciate Jim Ray dk coming on and joining us again check out uh his football camp if you want to send your kids there or if you're young enough to be able to go there, go for it. Um, they had like 16 or 17 guys here last year and Braylon Allen was there and Hunter Wohler was there. I mean, it's, a, there's a lot of guys there. So um, I think it's valuable for the kids, but also pretty cool for them to be around those, those kids, those guys as well. But we'll be back next week. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the camp.